sudden I call out, Liz, hey, you have any idea in the areas I'm prideful? And she goes, well, well, I am doing something and you're being inconsiderate and, and showing that you're much more important than I am. I guess this would be a good place to start. And right then, I knew I was in trouble. That was only the beginning. So when the Lord puts a three-part sermon series on your mind, and you say, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see a lot of pride. Whew, get ready, because I think the Lord's going to shake me up even more. And maybe he'll speak to you through his word, by way of the Holy Spirit. Look at our cartoon here. The first step is admitting that you're struggling with pride. And you can see the gentleman's up in a throne and he's got a light and a little, uh, little king's hat, little crown on. And uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, not by your response, it wasn't. But uh, it's kind of funny in that Sometimes people have to tell you that you're prideful. And that doesn't come easy. That does not come easy. Gracious, it sure doesn't. Well, as we journey on, let's take a look here at pride. Week one. Definition of pride in relation to God. So, pride, how are we prideful in relationship to God? I was telling Carrie, I, I want one of those big TVs in front of me so I don't have to keep turning around. Because then it's just like, you kind of lose track in sight of the audience. So I could just be like staring at you for a long time. And then you're like, well, no, I like it that you turn around because that makes me feel creepy. And uh, so, uh, no. So, okay, so we lost, uh, we lost um, a funny prop, but, um, but that's okay. We, we will find it. We will find it. It's all good. Anywho, um, pride is an attitude of self-importance, self-exaltation, or self-sufficiency before God. We oftentimes look at self-importance and we think, no, God's number one, God's number one. But then in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul says to renew our minds daily so we could discern God's will. I wake up, you wake up, and we are challenged to do that, right? Well, I think I'm so important at times that 
I pet the dog first. Come on, Jillian. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. You want it? You want it? You want it? I go through the Apple News. I, uh, I find myself, oh, my tummy's rumbling. I need some cereal. <laughs> All this takes time. Not a bad thing. But I get to a place to where I've got like 15 minutes left to read and pray. Because what I thought was most important trumped, trumped the Lord's work. Crazy. That's just crazy. And so I think to myself, sometimes I wake up and, how about you? Sometimes you wake up and, what happens? Do we renew our minds before the Lord or are we just, we're just too important? I got to check three things off my list. Then I got time with you. If you help me. And if you don't help me, I'm going to have just one or two minutes for you or maybe none at all. <laughs> Stupid pastor? That's crazy. I just jip myself out of eyes becoming wide open to the day and his will and his path to be set before me in a beautiful fashion. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to say that. I just don't. Hey, definition of pride in relation to man. Let's bring this, let's bring this to the everyday because we can. Here we go. We think we're really important and others need us. Hmm. You ever thought that? You know, if I don't show up, they really need me. It's funny, I heard Dr. David Jeremiah the other night, Friday night, talk about his importance, and he's a great, great preacher. He said, next time you get a bucket of water, put your finger in the bucket of water and pull it out and see what void remains about your importance. Referring to himself, referring to me, referring to whoever. It's like, it makes a good point. <laughs> makes a really good point. A feeling of deep pleasure for achievements. I did it! <laughs> yeah, you almost tripped me up, but I did it. <laughs> Silly pastor. God did it through me. And when I get that through my three-pound brain, some would say, yeah, pastor, you know what? That's generous. Let's go two and a half pounds for you. Fair enough. When I finally get that, I finally kind of see what's important and who's, Im who's important here. We are critical about certain things that others do. Oh, hello. I mean, we play judge. We play God. How many of you judge others besides me? How many of you, thank you, thank you one person. It's funny, when I say, when I say that, like how many of you are just in the flesh, you're just disgusting, you're just, you're just awful, you're just, just, just putrid. And I get like two or three people. Um, but, but maybe towards the end we'll see the benefits of knowing that. The benefits of knowing that. It's a good thing. Chalk it up to humility. All right, here's the humdinger. Pastor, is it, is it possible 
that you could be a hypocrite? Yeah. You? I reserve the comment for later. We'll see. We excuse and justify things that we're critical about with others. We excuse and justify things that we're critical about with others. What are you talking about? All right, let me give you the list. Don't freak out. Don't get upset. We're going somewhere in such a place where this is good that we realize some things. And you're going to realize some things about me. You are. You say, Pastor, you struggle with some of these things. Yeah, and so does the pastor next door, and so does the pastor up the street. Just if you never hear about things, they do it in private. George Barna. George Barna is a, is a great church researcher. I mean, worldwide known. Um, he actually does some part-time professoring at ACU. But he, he talks about pastors that when they go alone to workshops... To, to study God's word and to go to different forums, there's a large percentage, I don't want to misquote it, but I think it's 50 to 60% of pastors engage with porn when they're out alone. There's a book that says, Every Man's Battle, Pornography, and it is. It's Every Man's Battle. It's a good book to read, by the way. Here we go. Porn, trashy movies, Apple News, texting while driving, food, people taking advantage of others, taxes. I mean, that was just a quick perusal through. That was just a quick perusal through. Case in point, porn, oh men, we've got to be careful. We're one click away, after mama goes to bed, we're one click away of going to places we shouldn't go. One click. And it happens it gets the best of men, gets the best of women. And then it's a real tangled web. Here's the thing. Porn and traffy, trappy, trashy movies. I've been known to say, oh, they, they, they watch that. They're going to see that. Oh, they can't be too godly. Oh, they're not, they're not being very spiritual. And I find, I find me condemning others at times. Less so now that I'm older. But then when I open Apple News, I go through the news, and I guarantee you, you scroll through Apple News long enough, you get the headlines. International news is great. But there's always like one picture of a, a new 2023 Sports Illustrated swimsuit girl that you engage with. And she's right there. And you've got to click on her if you want it to blow up. I mean, not literally blow up, but you understand. Uh, get larger or not. So at that point, men, we've got to demonstrate self-control. Self-control, okay, is a fruit of the Spirit. But if you don't have it, if I am tempted to click on places that I shouldn't go. And I, I spend a little time with Jesus every day, try to spend multiple times with Jesus each day. If I struggle, I know you struggle, men. And so, and so we're going to criticize others now? 
for their guilt in what we call pornea? Bible term? I don't know about that. How about this? Texting while driving. Oh my. I was watching somebody and they're driving and uh, they have their phone in the middle of their steering wheel and they're looking at the road and they're texting. And I just had some things that I thought like, you goofball. But then when I get up to the light, I look over at my phone and then I get a text message that really is urgent. Like, it, like, like I don't want to get steak tonight. I want to get chicken on the way home. And so I start to play with the phone and the light turns green. I can't leave a thought undone. No, I, I, it won't come back for me. So, so I got to go and finish it texting and driving. Pastor, you're a hypocritical judge. Thank you. Thank you. Next week we go on and we discuss more. No, I am. I am. Hmm. I got to realize this. Stay with me. It's a good thing. Not a bad thing. A good thing. I'll tell you why. Hey, uh, people take advantage of others. Taxes. If I can gain an upper hand in taxes, even if it's a gray area, I struggle. I struggle. I donated $500 to Goodwill last year. I did. I did. And I start thinking through that and go, we only went to Goodwill to donate twice. And the stuff that we had fit in my trunk. But the tax man said it's 500 is not going to be questioned. And we won't ever have to account for it. But God is there. <laughs> and I don't get that sometimes. Maybe you don't either. Maybe we're in the boat together until Jesus comes back. Perhaps. It would be a good thing, seeing as that there were a church, his bride. Okay. I change voices because I know some of you, he's talked for 10 minutes. And I'm used to it. Do a video or something. I'm bored. Used to working in schools with education. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, so, so we get the idea here. C.S. Lewis. Pride is spiritual is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Yeah. Mere Christianity in his book, page 112. A spiritual cancer. So if you're relating to any of this in the next three weeks, know that we've got a form of spiritual cancer that if left untreated will grow. And we can get as selfish as Satan within 10 seconds. As dirty as Satan in 5 seconds. Just know that that's, that's the outcome if we don't treat it. If we don't recognize it. And I'm speaking to myself. Oh, I've got many more examples. You're like, no, that's okay. We know enough about you. How could the Apostle Paul even begin to address this super hurtful and polarizing sin? How could Paul do it? How can we learn from Paul's writings? The Apostle Paul. That's what they see on the East Coast. The Apostle Paul. He's on the East Coast. Let's see what we can do, okay? We do it together. It'll be all good. 
53 to 54, 20 years after Paul's conversion, the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Two-thirds! And he went to be a martyr, a martyr for his faith, for our faith. 1 Corinthians 15.9, right into a surly uh, church group here. A uh, little bit on the liberal side. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, if you look at that, Paul says, I'm least of the apostles. So he knows his social identity. He knows his group. And he's the least of the apostles. So there's some level of realization of humility there. And there's some understanding of the work of Christ there in his life. Some understanding. But you tell me as Paul gets older and he has more writings that we can see more maturity in his writing? Yes. Yes. As our two and a half year old granddaughter says, yes. Yes. Anyway, so uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. <clears throat> How about this? AD 60 to 61. 26 years after conversion, Damascus Road conversion, 26 years. Paul's approximately 56 years old. Ooh, this should tell us that as we get older, we're learning more. We're not dead. We've got breath. We're still growing. And so by golly, can you go back a couple years and say, ooh, I was, once had an attitude of this, and now it's here. I'm growing. Can your, can your spouse affirm you? Can a friend affirm you and say, yeah, you used to be like this, but now you're like this? That's a good thing. Find that you're different as you grow. And find some measuring sticks where there's some substance to it to say, yeah, I'm markedly different. It's a good thing. Check this out. AD 60 to 61, 26 years. After conversion, Paul's approximately 56 years old. Ephesians 3.8 to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So, a few years later, Paul's not the least of the apostles. Now he's the least of a different social group called the saints. All of us. All of the believers. All of the believers there in Ephesus. Do you see the progression? Do you see the maturity? So what we have is we have a greater level of humility, okay, and, and work of Christ. Greater humility, less pride. Less pride. Say less pride. Less pride. Now say it backwards. Okay, okay. I don't know. I didn't want people to go to sleep, and I wanted to buy some time for a drink, but that went way too quick. Okay, yeah. Okay, so yeah, we're moving ahead here. Check this out. AD 64 and 65. Pastor Jack, would you please look up 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 1 and be ready to read verse 13 and 14 with your pastor voice. Is that okay? Okay. In a translation that I'll understand. Okay. Um, 
Here we go. 31 years after Paul's conversion. Paul's approximately 61 years old here. Okay, check this out. 1 Timothy, just a few years before he writes Titus and 2 Timothy, few years before death. Few years before death. Look at the maturity now. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am chief. The word, the word there, which is chief, it's also taught worst, I think in the ESV, but maybe not. It's another translation that I was looking up. It means he's the absolute worst. He's worse than all of us. He realizes that he is ultra scummy in the flesh. And we'll find out maybe why in a moment. But Jack, if you have that verse, he says a little bit why in verse 13 and 14. Go ahead, Jack, nice and loud. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you. He's just before death. He's, he's years before death, and he's most mature. Blasphemer. Persecutor. Insolent man. Angry. Super prideful. Pharisee of Pharisees. A Bible scholar like we don't even, can't even imagine, and that would have been reference to the Torah. Torah. So as you think about this, the best humility of all we see, the least pride of all towards the end of Paul's life. So I want you to close your eyes a moment. I'm going to read you three statements to think about. You go, Pastor, this is your first real day here. I'm not going to close my eyes. I don't trust you yet. Okay, that's fine. Um, if you do trust, if you do trust, though, and you want to close your eyes, you can process this information better. You don't have to. Here's the thing, though. Here's the awkward thing. Is that if for some reason you close your eyes, and I tell you in a little bit to open them, I need at least 80% of you to open your eyes at the end and not be asleep. For us to go on, we need 8 out of 10 to be awake still at the end of this. Okay, here we go. So, Pastor Don, over time you're saying we should see in our lives the more we have internalized the gravity and breadth of our pride, the more we realize the gravity and breadth of our pride, which so leads to other sins and blinds us to who Jesus is, blinds us to who Jesus is and the work he's done for us on the cross, resurrecting from the grave, the better we can get our hands around the massive communicable attributes of God's forgiveness and grace at work in our lives and extend them to others. Next statement. The true realization of knowing the weight and width of our pride and truly internalizing what we've been forgiven of will help us love others with an agape love. 
So these, these things of being tripped up, judging others, putting others down so we can feel better. It's so temporal. It has no lasting, no lasting fruit, no lasting benefit. So Lord, convict me of this. If I'm bored, Lord, and I want to talk badly about somebody, help me to go into Philippians 4.8 where I'm thinking I'm pure, positive, upright things. Forgive me of wanting to bring somebody down so I can feel better so I have something to talk about because it's blinding me to who you are. And I don't want to keep going through life. It's too short being blinded, spiritually speaking. God bless you. And last... If we don't extend grace and forgiveness out to others, we clearly don't know what we've been forgiven of to be declared not guilty before the Father. If we don't extend grace and forgiveness out to others, we clearly don't know what we've been forgiven of to be declared not guilty before the Father. We don't want to be there. We don't want to be in that disgust. I can be just like Satan himself and come and preach, but then go home and have no peace and be blinded. Blinded by my own sin and choices. You can open your eyes now. If I refuse to extend grace and forgive and don't recognize how prideful I am, then it's like, then it's like, then it's like, this is my Jesus. If I walk prideful, if I judge others, if I'm critical about others, if I'm to a point where I'm just as selfish as Satan himself because I'm so important, this is my Jesus. And I've been there and I've bought the t-shirt, yet not that small. Guess what else? Tell me, please. I want you to tell me what, what language my Jesus speaks. He speaks Spanish. I'm off the hook for a lot of what he says because that's my Jesus. He speaks Spanish. Oh, I got poquito espanol, but I'm not going to be doing a lot of stuff because that's my Jesus. And so we think, wow, something's not right. Something's not right. When we act and analyze, and that's our Jesus, how, how limited is our faith? How big have we become? And the answer is super huge. Now, let me contrast that. Let me contrast that. I've really internalized the work of Christ. If I've really internalized the work of Christ in my life and extend grace and forgiveness to all. It reminds me of my friend James. My friend James, oh my goodness. He sold meth for a long time. Methamphetamine. And uh, he, was a, he was an incredible dealer. 
And uh, he, was, uh, he was on the street, didn't matter. And uh, his parents wanted me to come visit him, and I started to come visit him in his garage. Um, non-choice times, but, uh, uh, but that's when he was available. And uh, we start to, start to get to know each other a little bit. And um, it turned out that the relationship didn't really go anywhere until one night James killed somebody um, on a back road in Buckeye, Arizona. And he went to jail. And that's when, that's when and where I met my friend James. In jail. We started to disciple him. Him and I together. We started to meet on a regular basis. And then he said, because he says, when I get out of here, pastor, I'm coming to your church and I'm going to join it. And he was kind of, kind of far away at the time. Now, you know, you think, yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, everybody says that. He was in jail. It gets out, you know. And he goes, no, I am. I really am. And he did. Oh, my goodness. He will probably... He will probably be here in a couple months uh, to hang out with us and testify a little bit. He still follows Jesus. He's been through my discipleship one class three times. He's been with me to teach others. And um, I got a little picture of him. And I interviewed him one time in like four segments. And I got the last part of the interview. It's like, James, okay, what are you going to do with your life now? What's next for you? Because, remember, we're looking now for an example that if we really internalize the work of Christ and we believe he died and we can see the nails, the nail scars in his hands, and we know he resurrected and he saved us. Jesus, you saved us from that lake of fire. If we really get it down, this is what it can sound like and this is what uh, it can one do. One more question. Uh, one more question. The, um, the pursuit that you have on people's lives. Once you got out of jail, you started to gather your friends of a long time ago around and start to tell them about Christ one by one. And you're working on getting uh, more and more of your friends to church, knowing the love of Christ is for them as it was for you. Uh, tell me a little bit about that hunger and passion that you have. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's just uh, something I don't know. It's just God working, telling me that uh, I pray every day for bring sinners to church, and we would show them the love and the courage of God. And my friends, I invited a lot of friends to church, and to show them that what I've done, the life I've lived, and they've seen now that where Christ truly really has changed me to a different person, to a new person, in His name, into His mercy. And how many of your friends have come to Christ so far? Two. Two. Fantastic. And you're working on more. Every day. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, James. You're welcome. So, yeah, yeah. He went back to his friends that he did drugs with and one at a time led them to Jesus. The first one I got to be a part of and kind of see that his friend was, well, was in hospice with stage four cancer, for stage four colon cancer. And it just so happens when his friend was on drugs, 
His friend was really using, he, was, he had some symptoms of colon cancer that I guess when he was using, he ignored. And so he let it go and found out stage four. So he ended up dying, but meeting Christ before he died. And so, and so God works all things out for good. I mean, and, and not for our happiness, but, but for our holiness. And that's a, another sermon. So here we go, in closing, in closing, what? Remember last time I preached for like 50 minutes? I usually go back over the message. I didn't even want to go back over it. <laughs> I don't want to sit there 50 more minutes. Oh my goodness. So I think we're on track for a shorter message here. But uh, hey, look at this. Um, just, just, just quickly, just quickly, one, one more verse before we close here. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, Paul says, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but I do. But, I, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer me, no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. The Apostle Paul talks about in the present tense that he struggles with his flesh presently as a writer. Not as Jack spoke, as a, as a blasphemer, or a persecutor, an insolent man. No, not, not, not as that. But he's, he, he struggles now as he's writing, currently, present tense. And so what we got to realize, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee and a great Bible scholar, according to Philippians 3.5. Something amazing here. Something amazing. And so you could see how he would struggle. You could see how he would struggle there. Let me, let me say this here. Where do I go from here? What's the challenge today? Here's the challenge. Bear with me. It gets weird. Here's the challenge. It may look funny. It feels terrible. Here's the challenge. Where do we start with pride? Where do we start with this pride thing? This thing that will destroy us eventually if we don't treat it. Where do we start? Here we go. Check this out. Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' best preached message to his disciples and a whole mountainside of people. Here's what he says. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So think about the picture here. You go to someone and you say, hey, I see a speck in your eye. I can help you with that. It's the one thing that really bothers me. It's that radio station that you listen to at 1030 at night. I'm not sure that it's something that's good for you. Could I just have a moment and try to see if I could take that? Do you see how ridiculous this looks? Do you see how the, the illustration of what, of, of, what, of what is being said here by Jesus 
There's a log in my eye, and I'm trying to fish for a, a speck in her eye? No. No. How crazy is that? And we're still doing it every day. Now, there's sometimes we have to have discernment. Sometimes we have, to, we have to judge. The first part of that verse says, judge, thou not be judged, or, uh, and I, I, I butchered the verbiage, uh, but judge unless, you know, don't judge unless you want to be judged. And that's just a funny way of, well, if you judge somebody, they're gonna, more people are going to judge you. And it's, uh, it's kind of a weird way. Sorry, I didn't mean to point you out, Paige, on that, but uh, I, I just knew your name, and so I wanted to say it. Uh, anyway, no, just kidding. So, so, but what it's saying here is we do have to be discerning. We do have to be discerning. If, if, if my daughter's boyfriend wants to date and, and he shows up and he's got three tires and one's kind of fallen off, but he says they're Michelins and they're going to be okay regardless. It'll just be, have to be a slower date in terms of car driving. I'm going to step in and say, no, I'm going to judge that. Okay? I'm not going to condemn him, but I'm, but I'm going to make an evaluation to say, no, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to judge that. And so, so we do have to, within reason, be judges. And that is biblical as well. But when we're looking just to put people down, just to highlight somebody else's distortion or, or little struggle, just remember what we have in our own eye. Just remember that. Jesus, thank you for today. Jesus, we've got some work to do. Jesus, we've got a, a unique situation in that everybody struggles with something different, and many of us struggle for the, with the same things. And so we know that you've overcome sin and sickness, Jesus. We know that you've overcome all things, and especially things that we struggle with. You are, Jesus, a high priest that we can relate to, because you walked perfectly on this earth, and you tell us that in Hebrews chapter uh, 4, verse 15. So, Lord, help us to just get with you, one-on-one. -on -one. If we're so bold, Lord, today, help us to ask our friend or our spouse where they see pride in us. But help us to grab onto something, Lord, because it might be a bumpy ride. Help us to deal with ugliness where we look most like the enemy. Help us to deal with that. Help it to, to, to hit us dead center that we would confess it. We would, we would ask for forgiveness as Christians. And we would get to move on, clearly seeing your path and your will for our life. Lord, if there's anybody here that says, wow, Christians, this is interesting. And they don't know how to know you, Jesus. Help them to come forward at the end of the service and not leave here without meeting you personally, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, help us help each other. Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, do a work in us that is unlike anything we can think or imagine and change us. Lord, we got two more weeks of dealing with pride and it's gonna be, it's gonna be your text that's gonna change our life based on your Holy Spirit's power and conviction. Help us to prepare for that. Help us to bring somebody to those last two sessions and find out what it is to live joyously before you 
and know that we've got things and areas to be refined in until you come back for us. And anybody that wants to see that can read 1 Peter chapter 1, the first 12 verses. There's a refinement process that we're in right now as Christians, and we need it so badly. So open our minds and hearts and help us to submit to you. Then we'll be a little bit better to love one another and doing it with the peace that's long-lasting in your precious.